0: Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com.
1: Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 632 of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live in the Les studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we have to tell you about uh, a new thing that is happening where U.S. citizens have decided, I don't want to be a citizen of the United States anymore. In fact, I had an expat. Uh, Just stay at my house uh, One of my vacation rentals Out of Magnolia She lives over in Germany What's really interesting though Is she's thinking about moving back In fact, it seems like A lot of people that have left And got rid of their citizenship Because sometimes you can hang on to both People have left And now now they're trying to figure out How do I get my citizenship back Also, let's talk about Coach Prime Because they just Did did you watch the Saturday Night Live? Uh, I did, yeah Everybody's talking about that, so we gotta talk about it too. Before we get to that though, let's get to this. Uh Airbnb in the NYC. I kinda wanna explain it, but what did you think of what was your perception of the story? I'm kind of, well I am I'm an airbnb expert so I want to talk about it but I also want to compare it to what's happening here in Seattle because it seems very similar uh, and it is very similar in some ways and in some ways it's not so so
2: uh, there's uh, New York State and New York City have just passed some some pretty restrictive. Uh, regulations around Airbnb and their motivation is they're trying to increase housing stock for New Yorkers. So what they have done is they've, they've made the licensing, um, and the requirements of Airbnb very, very strict. And it's dropped the number of listings in Airbnb by like 90% or something. So they did an analysis there and the, they cited one in, in Brooklyn where I, I guess they're in like a quarter square mile. There was, 700 plus airbnb listings and so the critics of of this model are like hey this is not what this was intended to be uh this is impacting thousands of new yorkers that cannot afford to live in brooklyn anymore it it used to be an affordable neighborhood by new york standards and now it's been gentrified all these places are bought uh, purchased up there's a lot of corporate entities that are buying these places and renting them basically making them hotels and pushing out working class people that can't afford to live in brooklyn anymore because the housing is is now hotels mm-hmm. and so the city of new york and the state of new york has changed that and so what we're seeing is people a are going some people are complying and they're just taking their airbnb unit off the market turning it back into a long-term rental other people though are abandoning the Airbnb platform not getting the license that the the state is requiring and the city's requiring and going on the black market. So they might put this out on Facebook Marketplace or build their own website uh, and just try to keep the bookings up on their own and and subvert this law and rule because they got used to the flexibility of having that unit and making income on that unit.
1: Yeah, and and so some of that I actually agree with. Like, Like, even though that I own rentals, and i own airbnbs i own uh, more long term rentals than i than i do airbnbs here's here's what we did in seattle and here's what they did in new york city uh, and and there were a lot of people here in seattle that had 30 35 40 airbnbs i also know people that manage those i have a friend that's a real estate agent and she would go out and just tell clients hey instead of selling your house why don't we do this why don't we furnish it run it as an airbnb i'll take 30% and they started running this as a business and they, then they said, when the market gets hot again, then what we will do is then I'll list and I'll sell your house. So she, she was she was doing both. She was doing 30, 35, 40 at a time and then a couple of years ago I saw her selling all her furniture on social media because here in Seattle, something similar happened and they basically said to those Airbnb operators, hey, if you're doing short-term rentals and you have 25 or 30 or 12, we're not going to let you do this anymore. What we are going to let you do, these are the rules. And I think these are actually good rules, because it does open up more places where, where, where if people need, and they're moving here, let's say, to be in tech that they can have a, a, a rental before they actually go out and, let's say, buy. Or for people that are live working in Plain in Seattle, right? Uh, they're your local barista, for instance, uh, that they could have a place to live as well. And if everything's an Airbnb, then that, that kind of screws up. So what, so what NYC did, though, is I think they cracked down too hard. And I think as a result of that now what you have is you you have, and a lot of these are mom and pops. Some of them are are run by big companies. They're going to find different ways to still list these. And they're going to do it outside the realm of, of Airbnb. They're can, gonna have, can I
2: push back they're gonna, for one second let, well, let on me Seattle?
1: F- they're they're going to have a very hard – let me finish. They're going to have a very hard time, a very, very hard time uh, curtailing this. And now the tax money that they were getting, because tax money – Airbnb sends out a, a 1099 form, and you have to pay taxes and all that. Uh, those aren't going to be sent out anymore. So not only – are they operating these outside the VRBO or an Airbnb platform? But on top of that, New York city, they're not going to get those units back. And they're also not, not, not going to get the tax money as well. Your thoughts.
2: So uh, the, 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 thing I wanted to push back on Seattle, cause you, you said that you think in a lot of ways that Seattle was, was okay.
1: I didn't. Well, I, you didn't let me explain what we've done in what we've done in Seattle. It's, 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 it's they it's different here. It's not the same as NYC, but, but they did crack down and I think they came up with a good good solution. Here's the solution. You can rent one door on your property as a long, long. I'm sorry, you can rent one door on your property as a short-term rental, meaning three days, five days, seven days, uh, 10 days, 12 days, whatever you want that to be. And then they give you another golden ticket, and you have to buy a license for both of these, where you can operate a short-term rental away from the property. In New York City, they won't allow this. You get one, you get one door, and the door has to be inside your house. It can't be a, so. It can't be a backyard cot. It has to be inside your house. So, like for instance, where I am right now, if I lived in New York City. And, and, and you have to live in the house while the person is staying there. So the only unit that would qualify for me in New York City would be my ADU in the basement. Uh, cause it has a common door to the basement and that is in the house. That's the only thing that you could rent right now in a short term rental. That's all you could do. What Wait, they so said, they- what they said in the city of Seattle is you can have a short-term rental on your property. So like your backyard cottage, which isn't a part of my house, can be a short-term rental. And then you can have one away. You can have another short-term rental somewhere else in the city. And these are city laws. So you can still have one in Bellevue, depending on their rules or Everett or wherever you're at. And then what they said is what you can do is you can take some of these properties. Once you have two short-term rental licenses, and you can't get any more, you can have a 30-day, and with the 30-day, it doesn't need a rental license. And so here, I have a combination – of uh, the short term rental license. I have a combination of the 30 day, which you don't need a rental license on. And most of the people that come here, they're coming to work in our city. Like the, the gal that is staying in my basement right now, that's here for five months. That's on a 30 day. She's doing very important work here. She, she is here to be a nurse. Uh, someone else that's staying at one, one of my 30 days with his wife. He's a surgeon. He works at children's hospital along with his wife, who is also a surgeon. And so I think these rentals are still important, uh, but I I can see the thought about, yeah, we need to make sure that there's more doors available for people that are going to live, work, and play in the city. Go ahead. So
2: my critique of this is, uh, with nothing you've said, it's the entire premise. I don't believe that the government— Gets to tell me what I do with my property that I'm 100% liable for. So if, if I have a loan and I'm responsible for a mortgage and I own a piece of property, I am allowed to do whatever I want to that property and with that property, providing it's it's not a danger. Like I can't go light it on fire or whatever within reason. Well, what about if, H- if I,
1: what about HR, HOA rules, CC and all? Yeah, if you're
2: like that. if you sign an agreement with an HOA or whatever, of course you're subject to to the rules of a property. But well, my point being is like if I wanted to buy the house next door to your house and I had the resources to do that, I could let that house be vacant. I don't have to do anything with that house. If I wanted to just own an house I, I live when I lived in Michigan, a guy across the street from me owned the house next to his house and he kept a um uh uh experimental aircraft in the house nobody lived in that house nobody rented that house he would go over there and tinker on his little thing inside the house. He had broken out all the walls and stuff. And I was like, it's weird, but he owns the house. (laughs) If he wants to do that, he's fine. (laughs) So the thing that bothers me is when the city of Seattle will get influenced by a lobbyist or powerful neighborhood like Queen Anne, like Magnolia, like, uh, you know, let's say Medina, Madison where, Park, where there's a bunch of lawyers
1: that live well, there. Well, Medina's over in Bellevue, so <laughs> right, let's, let's go, let's they, stick with Madison Park. You said they the city will, of Seattle, so. they
2: will uh, uh, lobby and petition the government to not change any zoning laws, mm-hmm. to have all sorts of NIMBY protections in their neighborhood, not allow any density, and then when uh, and someone else comes along, like you or like me or someone, then we're a hundred percent liable for the lease, yep. We're 100% liable for the taxes. We're 100% liable for the maintenance.
1: 100% liable for the
2: downturn. 100% liable if the market turns on us. Yeah, the loan, and then you're going to tell me that because of a housing shortage, 8, which was 8, caused 8. by the government, maintenance, the government restricted 24, density. 24, yes. The government has not rezoned places. The government has not built affordable housing. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, you're going to transfer that burden over to me with the assumption of, well, if I force Don to uh, to not do what I wanted to do with his unit, that therefore it's going to turn into an affordable housing unit. That's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, and a great example, we, we sold a house to my buddy Eric uh, a couple years back over in Ballard. And... The house that he bought was subdivided off of a, of a bigger lot. It didn't turn into an affordable housing unit. It turned into a house that was at market value. Hmm. And so, the city of Seattle rule that they shoehorn these people into because can sell pay, this property. The,
1: the builder can pay a little more money, and then and then right. the, there, the rule doesn't apply, and the city takes the money, What supposedly is then going to go toward affordable. There's housing.
2: not some like a checker at, at Safeway that can come in and buy that house. Like he's a, he's a, an architect that makes good money. And so he's a, he's a white collar job. It's not the blue collar guy, a firefighter is going to come in and afford to buy that house because <laughs> they still can't. <clears throat> so my, my critique on this is it's not the responsibility of the individual. If you set up a system that is patently unfair By the government and you control permitting, you control the city government, you control the tax rolls, you control the zoning board. If you control all that stuff and you go, oh my gosh, this is unfair. This is unfair to the blue collar worker. We're going to punish... The guy that's worked his tail off to get 12 pieces of property. That is the wrong person to punish. It gets me fired up with that, that people have had to to sacrifice, and even friends that you know, that had to sell units because they could no longer do... The thing that they were doing and they struggled to buy that unit. They struggled to refurbish that unit. They were doing the nuts of the city wouldn't make it any easier on them to run that rental. And so screw them. This is a bad set of rules. Um, if you want more housing, there are ways to get more housing without squeezing people that are are running Airbnb businesses or VRBO businesses. Or if they just want to, is the city of New York go around like let's say back to Anderson Cooper that I referenced in the last episode. His mom's apartment that died, Gloria Vanderbilt, which is multiple floors, he's left it vacant. It's filled with a bunch of memorabilia that he goes over there once a month and and sorts through. Does the city of New York come and say, you need to make this a a unit? Nobody's living in this unit. He pays the mortgage. He pays the utilities. He pays the HOA bills. He wants to use that as an empty storage space because it makes him remember his mom. So like you can't have it both ways. Um, if you're gonna it's just it's the wrong way to get more housing stock, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. You want if you want more housing stock, go make more housing stock. Don't like if there was more units available, then maybe the Airbnb model would need to change and be more competitive. So I say I say screw this whole premise. I think it's misguided. I think you're punishing the wrong people. I've stayed in Airbnbs in Brooklyn, and it was charming to be in a neighborhood, stay in an Airbnb, be able to walk around the corner and get a slice of pizza or go to a coffee shop and be in Brooklyn uh, and and have that experience. Those people took a big risk to do that, and I wanted to reward them. So I, I say screw all both of these states.
1: Yeah. can't argue with that. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, one of the things Ron and I really like about Les Schwab is they are always doing the right thing. You've heard us say before, hey, they've been doing the right thing since 1952. It's true. And the thing I love is they really get involved in the micro communities around here. Because, you know, Seattle, Tacoma, Five, Fremont, what are we? We're just – it's a really cool area where you find 300 cities and towns that are just kind of connected with bridges, water, and mountains. But let's not forget what's happening in Maple Valley for kids. This is pretty cool, Ron.
2: Yeah, on July 22nd, the Valley Girls and Guys at Les Schwab will be having their fifth annual Be the Hope Walk at Summit Park in Maple Valley. It benefits the Valley Girls and Guys Foundation and is uh, dedicated to providing assistance to local families who are impacted by any type of cancer diagnosis how cool is that so you can participate and register that's a 1.8 mile walk it's 35 bucks you can go to valleygirlsandguys.org that's valleygirlsandguys.org all right les schwab they've been doing the right thing since 1952
1: all right listen up everett in Woodby Island, and our friends over on Bainbridge, and of course down in the South Sound, and over to Wenatchee. What's and up, right
2: University up, Place?
1: Yeah, and right on the East Side, and of course all our freaky friends in Fremont. You know why I name all these places? Because Ron and Don have the biggest social media following and the biggest podcast of any realtor in the state of Washington, and probably in the Pacific Northwest, and probably in the country. As a result of that. Everybody in the Ron and Don Nation, well, they're choosing Ron and Don to sell, buy, and invest in real estate. And why do you do that? It's because you Trust us with a capital T, and we have a connection from all our years at doing trust or radio. But, Ron, at the end of the day, we still have to step in, do a great job, be phenomenal, and win the deal, right? Yeah, it all
2: starts with the Ron and Don sit down. It's a 30 to 45 minute Zoom call, free of charge, no obligation. We'll meet you, see if we make a good team. Email me directly, ron at ronandon.com, or you can set it up on the website, ronandonsitdown.com.
1: All right, you guys. Welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. I think probably a lot of us saw it. Uh, is it Kenan Thompson? Yeah, Kenan Thompson yeah, from I Saturday Night that's Live. Right, Kenan Thompson. Yeah, that did the. Uh, he played Coach Prime on Saturday Night Live, and I watched it, and I thought it was very interesting and very funny. Uh, there's some stories now back in the news. They were up the other night, twenty nine to nothing, and then At Stanford. Yeah, and then Stanford came and and came storming back their their biggest comeback ever, and so here's his team now. Uh, they've won more games than they did last year. Uh, his son is standing on the on the sideline, flashing a watch that is worth lots of money. Uh, flashing okay. cars and I, I call it cash cars and stars.
2: That watch story I have some insight on, but we can get to that a different day yeah. if we want to. So
1: so anyway. I'm a little con- he he'll sit there he does interviews we talked about this last time uh that basically under the NIL rules now you play well you get paid well even even at the college level do do you see him as an advocate for himself or do you really see him as an advocate for his kids and and for other kids or is it all of it or none of it
2: uh I think it's a mixture I think his public persona is highly stylized and crafted. Um, I also think that he genuinely cares about these young men and that he spends an inordinate amount of time with non-star players, uh, coaching them up to be good people, to go to class, to get their degree, to be good citizens, knowing that they're not going to play on Sundays. Uh, And and I've seen evidence of that, especially when you – go back and you watch some of the stuff from Jackson state, which is a very small historically black college. And so I think that he, and look at the way he treats like his trainers. Look at the way he treats his social media team. Look at the way he treats the chancellor. Look at the way um, he treats the student body hmm. of the university of Colorado. And he'll get on his golf cart on game day. And he talks about driving his golf. Cause he has that his foot amputation thing going on. He'll drive his golf cart around campus and give kids access and take pictures. Uh, there was a video I saw of him where kids were outside the gate of the stadium on a weekday, and they saw Coach Prime, and they're going crazy. And he stopped what he was doing, and he went over, and he interacted and gave them a minute and a, and a word. And so I, I think he genuinely gives that and feels like it's a calling. And at the same time, I, I think the, the more I spend time watching Deion Sanders, the thing that I think is driving him – is – and there's a special out on ESPN uh, 30 for 30 right now. It's a documentary on when Deion Sanders played professional baseball in a World Series, and he played a football game in the same – within a 24-hour period.
1: Arrived in the helicopter. It's very cool.
2: And there's a moment in there, and this is what I think – it's hard to articulate, but I'm going to give it a try. There's a moment in there where the Atlanta Braves general manager, who is white – Deion Sanders had a contract that he played baseball through the end of July, and then or end of August maybe when football started, and then he became a football player. That was his contract. So it got to the end of the contract, the player that was supposed to replace Dion got injured, and they were making a playoff run. The Atlanta Braves were making a playoff run. The GM came to Dion and said. Would you consider coming back and playing through the rest of the season? We need your speed, we need your bat, we need your outfielding. Uh, you're a very good player. Would you? We got an injury, and he said he called the front office of the Falcons and said, "I want to give you a heads up. I'm going to ask Dion if he's willing to do this." And so, and they go through this in the documentary. So that's what happens. He calls Dion, asks Dion to do it. Dion agrees. Dion agreed that he would be a brave for the rest of the season. And so what happens was, and this is, so that's according to Dion. I I'm a, I agree that I will be a brave for the rest of the season. So they get into the playoffs, the baseball playoffs, and there's a football game. So he leaves the football game in the, or leaves the baseball stadium in the playoffs in Pittsburgh, I believe flies to Miami to play a Sunday afternoon football game for the Atlanta Falcons, gets back in a plane that Nike provided, flies back to Pittsburgh to play the following day. The GM loses his mind for the baseball team and says, you told me that you were exclusively baseball. <clears throat> and Dion said, no, I didn't. I told you that I'd be willing to play the rest of the season. You don't own me. I'm not a slave. I said, when it's baseball time, I play baseball. In my free time, like other players go play golf, I came down and played an NFL football game. And so I think what Dion is battling against has been a lifelong, I don't want to call it racism, a lifelong bias against him. uh, And part of it is wrapped up in his color. Mm. Of like, when a white GM tells you that you're a baseball player. We own you 24 seven. You can't do anything else. And he's like, I never agreed to that. You came to me to help you out. And in that world series, he, he hit over 400, had six stolen bases, Uh, he was, he was out of his mind in that world series and had the Braves won, he would have been the MVP without a doubt. And he was looking forward to going up to that GM Hmm. and telling him to take a long hike. And so I think that, I don't know if I've captured what I mean. I think that's what he's up against. He's like, if my son is a Heisman caliber quarterback and he wants to show off the bling of his watch, then show off the bling of his watch. That has nothing to do with whether or not he's performing on the field, Uh, and he'll have the repercussions of that. If I want to go out and do a commercial with Nick Saban, or if I want to wear my prime glasses and sell them, he goes, "I'm going to do that. Come meet me at the at the facility at 4:30 in the morning when I get there."
1: Yeah, you know? I, I think the difference is though he really sells the American Jesus, and and. And, and, and we're in, you know, and I grew up in the church, I've worked in the church and, and, and it was, it, it was different because, you know, when I was younger, I was sold the American Jesus humble. And then as I got older and like you get in the evangelical mu- uh, movement and now the American Jesus wants you to have cash cars, and stars. Uh, I remember pastors driving. In, in fact, where my sister worked, uh, she was dying of ALS the the pastor drove an X five, a BMW. The the his wife drove a Mercedes, and my sister drove an old three thousand dollar old track that I bought for her with no dashboard because uh, the sun had wiped it out. And 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 in fact, she was driving the car that day when she pulled over on the interstate, and and she, and she reached to open the door of the car and she could because her card broke down. And 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 so she reached for the door and she couldn't open the door, and that's what started her ALS journey. And she was she was in there stuck with her very young children at the time. She she didn't have health care, health insurance, and and come to find out the these pastors their their pockets were full, but my but my sister who was the music minister there they didn't even offer her her health insurance, and so. Uh, we had to raise money for her in medical care and all that stuff. So, so there's something called the prosperity doctrine in the evangelical movement. I've seen Dion speaking in churches. He's the one, one of the reasons why he's so great in front of that football team and so great in front of the cameras is because he's done this so much. Uh, he has been a preacher when he left football. That's what he did. Uh, he preached in a lot of churches. I think he's one of the best preachers that I've ever heard. He is a prosperity doctrine teacher. And I think what he's done is he's mixed up the American Jesus with the prosperity movement. And also with a lot of things that, that, that you have said, Ron, that I think actually are probably good for kids. It's kind of all mixed together. So when, when, when I, when, when I see the watch down on the sideline, that's not the humility of the church that I grew up in. But as I got older and was exposed to the evangelical movement, it certainly is that church—the prosperity doctrine—and I see a little bit of that mixed in there. Uh, and I have to say, it grinds me a little bit. I, I don't. I don't. It bothers me. I don't. I, I don't. My my reaction to it is, I, I, I don't. I don't. I I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. Uh, but 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 that's just me and i and and, and i'm probably wrong. So i don't
2: know what Shadur's religious affiliation is. So he's the one of he's in the top 5 of the highest paid college athletes in America right now. Um so i kind of like the swag you know of him doing that. The the watch is not worth what he thinks the watch is worth, but that's a different story for a different day. Um but yeah, it, it's all mixed in there. And, and, and I try to put myself, Dion in a sense, is one of those guys that backed it <coughs> up. Me. And when he looked at the report that one time, and they spoofed it on Saturday Night Live, where he said, "What? when you look at me, what do you see in me that cares what you think? He says, I've been that guy. And he has. Yeah. When he says, all I've ever done is win in my life, it's true. Going back I, ex- from exce- Little League ex- through.
1: Ex- except the other night in front of Stanford.
2: Well, that's true. It's Ron here with Mitch Weeks from Mitch.loans. Mitch, it's interesting as the interest rates have risen, many people thought, oh, well, there'll be a bunch of inventory that comes on right at the first part of 2023 and then things will level out. That didn't happen. Inventory remains tight. Interest rates remain high. Why would that still be a good time to buy?
0: Well, now's a great time to buy, and that's because rates are going to drop, and we're going to see a feeding frenzy. Right now, there's a huge stagnant hole in the market, and that's that 700 k to $1.2-ish million dollar home. And all the people living in those homes right now either refied or bought in a 25 to 3.5% rate, and they're terrified to move. They know if they sell their home, they're going to have to jump into a six, six and a half percent rate, and it just won't look as attractive. So, what's going to happen is rates are going to drop, and all those people who wanted to move, wanted to upsize, wanted to move for whatever reason, you know, people just like to move in life, but they don't move if there's this blocker. And we're going to see that blocker come off, we're going to see the cap come off, and we're going to see a, a bit of a frenzy here.
2: All right, so this would be the time to buy and then replace the rate uh, once it drops with your new program.
0: Yeah, we've got the rate and replace program. You can buy now and you can refi free of charge, free of the lender fees. Um, And we'll take care of those for you. So great deal.
2: All right, check him out online at mitch.loans. It's not a .com, it's mitch.loans.
1: All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you need us, just reach out, ronandonsitdown.com and uh, we will meet for 30, 45 minutes. Talk about your real estate journey and then come out, visit your property, or if you're a buyer, we'll spend some time figuring out what is it that you want to buy, a primary an investment property. Uh, is it somewhere here in Seattle or is it way up north, down south? In fact, we just told you about this beautiful property while we're sitting here that we got a phone call on. Uh, from someone that used to listen to us on Cairo Radio uh, about a beautiful home. Uh, It used to be a nursery. It's on five acres. You can see it on my Facebook page, Don O'Neill, that we just brought online. And uh, Anyway, we are regional realtors. We also use the power of this podcast, our newsletter, our social media following. and Other realtors, uh, a lot of times, the only thing that they have to offer is they're on the MLS too. Uh, No one can offer the fact that they have... Uh, the social media presence that we do, and this particular podcast that over two million people have listened to. So, anyway, and you need us, just reach out, com. We have the MLS like everyone else does, but then we have the power of the podcast. And also, Ronadon TV is on its way as well. Anyway, I think this is kind of interesting. I was talking. In fact, I reached out to our therapist the other day. We were having a client party. I wanted her to come. And she said, you know what? We're in the car. We have the dog. She's with her husband. Uh, I did therapy with her for about half a decade. And then I graduated this past summer. And she decided. I thought that, you forced her into retirement. <laughs> I can't deal
2: with this O'Neal guy anymore. Yeah.
1: And, and, and anyway, she decided. She looked at her life. She's like, I, I'm almost 70. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around. And you know what we'd like to do is spend time in eastern Washington. And fact they had bought a place in eastern Washington, but there's so many fires over there now that they're like, our smoke alarms inside our house go off sometimes when there's not even a fire here. And so they decided instead of heading over to eastern Washington like they did for the last 20 years to get away, uh, that they were leaving the U.S., that they're headed to Mexico. And so they bought a place down there. My neighbor uh, John and Patty are getting ready to move. They're doing the same thing. They are moving to Mexico. They aren't coming back, right? Right. So I think uh, with our therapist, I think I think she may maintain her home here, and, and 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 they may spend summers and winters in different places. And it used to be that people do that with Maui, you do that with Phoenix, maybe you do that with Florida. But Ron, we're finding that some people are leaving, like John and Patty. They're giving up their U.S. citizenship and they're not coming back. What's kind of interesting, though, some of those people who left. Now they want to come back, and they want their U.S. citizenship back.
2: Well, it doesn't work that way. This is a very interesting topic, and I've actually been doing a deep dive on this because this is intriguing to me. So what we're talking about here is passports, visas, and, and citizenship and where you want to live. There's a guy that I've <coughs> followed that I actually heard on the, on the Rick Rubin podcast that I mentioned quite frequently in this uh, that, that runs a company. And his motto to help Americans with this is go to where you're treated best. Go to where you're treated best. And and when he talks about it, he's like, "What? we live in a global economy now. We live as global citizens, but many people uh, don't go to where they're treated best. And there was a part of the article that that you had sent me is there's a lot of uh, black Americans that are like, you know what? I'm not treated very well in the United States. I'm going to go somewhere that treats me better. And so they had a really lovely write-up of this community of of uh, american expats that are all um black and they live in mexico city now and have sort of found each other and so there's a cafe that they meet at uh and there's a business owner there that's from uh, the united states i think from omaha and, and moved down there opened this cafe and they said they're they're really enjoying their life in Mexico cuz it doesn't come with a lot of the same baggage that they had as as a black american and so they've they've gone to where they're treated best now let's talk about the status that you need to do this so the main reason that people renounce their us citizenship is for tax purposes all right and here's a very weird rule that i believe only exists for americans among uh, industrialized nations if you are an american citizen and you hold an American passport. the IRS will tax you on your income, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, and it's the only country that does that. So think about this: if you are uh, if you're a Fran- a French citizen uh, and you make money in America, me. France doesn't tax you on that money because you didn't generate that money in France. If I'm an American citizen. And I'm in France, and I make income. The U.S. is going to tax you, whether or not you made that money in America. Mm. And so, for many people, what you're talking about is they renounce that. They say, "Hey, I'm a high earner, uh, but I don't. I'm. I'm, I'm I, I bought a house in, let's say, Spain." I got the golden visa program. I'm on my way to get another passport. So I'm going to have an American passport, but I'm also going to have a Spanish passport because I've purchased real estate above a certain threshold. I've met their visa requirements. I've lived there for X amount of time. I've applied for citizenship. I've learned basic conversational Spanish. I'm going to get a second passport. And so they get the second passport in, or it could be Mexico and they go, wait a minute. I just made, my business made a quarter of a million dollars of profit in Spain. I just got a bill from the IRS in America. Mm. What's going on? And then they realize, wait a second, my income is still taxable. So they renounce that U.S. citizenship. They go to the, uh, the office, the United States Embassy in the town they are in, in Spain, and they say, I'm going to, and America charges you a fee. America charges you a fee to break up with it. Mm. So, uh, and they recently quadrupled that fee because they said people were leaving America. So they make it more difficult to leave. So they renounce that citizenship and then you, you cannot get your, your passport back mm. after you've done that. Is that right? But No, you, once you renounce America, you're out. Wow. So, but what you could do mm. is to say, okay, I'm going to do the golden visa program. Uh, is, Spain and Portugal have one. There's uh, several countries in the EU. You can do some in Asia, uh, where if you some countries require you to make a donation uh, to the government, and you can get a uh, uh, a visa there, and then the visa can turn into a passport. There are other countries, and they've cracked down on this. That would just sell you a passport. Mm. They'd say, "Hey, give us seven hundred thousand dollars, and you get a passport." Uh, and so, how much? 700000 a million dollars, and you can just buy a passport. All of a sudden, you're a dual citizen. Wow. And so, but uh, the real thing that people are talking about most of the time, some people renounce American citizenship for political reasons. Most of the time, it's this taxation rule. So there are strategies, and I'm not an expert on it, where you can diversify your income in such a way to, to lessen the impact of the U.S., um, Tax burden, but it will never entirely go away so for most folks, they get a tax advisor they 'll set up this business in for, in Paris or in uh, M- Madrid or like we talked about in, in lisbon they'll create a tax vehicle that shields much of their income that they're generating over there yet for them paying that extra 10 to 12 to 15% to retain the dual citizenship for most people is worth it. So they will say, I'm going to, I don't like this law. There's a movement right now to try to get the IRS to revoke that law and come in line with what all the other countries are doing. But the advantage would be is that when you get your, your it's not citizenship when you get your residency visa in france that unlocks you to travel to all the the eu countries Mm. so right now if you and i went to europe we're capped at 90 days Mm. so after 90 days we need a second visa we need a work permit We need a residency visa. We need, uh, you know, something from the government that says you're allowed to be here for longer than 90 days. Uh, And so what that residency visa does, it allows you to live there. Mm. And then that unlocks the entire EU for you. And if you get that passport... Now you could live anywhere you wanted to in the EU mm. uh, without penalty, but renouncing the U.S. citizenship is a big deal, and most of the time it's done for tax purposes. Yeah.
1: Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ron and Don Show. If you need Ron, just reach out. He's Ron at ronanddon.com. I'm Don at ronanddon.com. Everything is at com. Thanks for listening to the radio show. Thanks for supporting us as realtors, and I think you will find that we as realtors, we are advocates Uh, We are friends, and also we kick ass. We just do, especially if you have a property that needs some work, bringing that thing to market. Most realtors just have the MLS. We have this. We have this podcast. Uh, We have TV cameras that are now set up. We'll be showing people our properties. Uh, Ronadon TV will be on here in the next month or so, so you'll be able to watch us. How about that? You'll be able to see Charlie the dog. Uh, when we're broadcasting from here, which is very exciting. And also, we have thousands of people in our newsletter and tens of thousands of people that show us on social media, and over 2 million people have clicked on this podcast and listened to it. So we are so appreciative, and we use that uh when we are selling a home. In fact, we just had someone that called us that's part of the Ron and Don Nation that we believe is about to write an offer uh on a home that we're selling uh here down in Burley. So anyway, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for being a part of this again a broadcast. your friends and uh also a lot of you uh are neighbors. And uh, we're your real estate agents, too. So we're very, very appreciative for that. If you need us, uh, just reach out at RonandonSitdown.com Or again, Don O'Neill on socials, and he is Ron Upshaw. Until next time, don't forget, keep your head up and your shoulders back. And also, don't forget, on Friday, it's a real estate-only edition of The Ron and Don Show. So if you want to learn more about real estate, if you're thinking about becoming an agent buying selling investing then make sure you listen to that show it's about one segment usually 18 minutes long and we'll share something with you that uh, no other real estate agent is probably going to tell you all right head up shoulders back as i said you've been listening to the ron and don show only on the ron and don radio network
0: now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time only 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 only, only on the ron and don Radio Network. Oh, 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 oh,